Hi everyone, I'm so excited to share with you my new checklist, the five things your brand story needs to create impact. You can grab the checklist at alicefairfax.com checklist. I'm really excited because these five story tools are a must to connect your message to your audience, and they form the basis for my five-module digital course launching soon. The course will do a deep dive into all the tools you need to succeed from these five elements. But first, you need to know the list. So grab the checklist at alicefairfax.com checklist to get you started on the right road. Now, let's get into this episode of the Story Maven podcast. Within the storytelling component of it, it's don't be afraid to get, don't be, don't be afraid of the emotional goal. In fact, embrace it, find it. That's, that's your rudder. That's your guide. That's your North Star to put this thing together. Hello, and welcome to the Story Maven podcast, where we meet great storytellers who share their secrets to opening a story loop, engaging an audience, and telling a great story. I'm your host, Alice Fairfax. I was a Walt Disney World performer for over 20 years, and now I teach busy nonprofit leaders and entrepreneurs how to turn data into story. Because what I know from being an improv storyteller is that you can increase your impact and grow your audience just by telling a great story. So if you're overwhelmed by your social media calendar or dealing with pre-speech jitters, the Story Maven Podcast is here to help you tell your story. This week's guest is Stacia Boyd, President and Creative Director of Q Media Productions, where they create audio tours specializing in museums and attractions. Stacia has written, co-written, directed, and or produced content on every project, from national parks to national museums to the Kennedy Space Center. Stacia also consults on ADA issues and presents accessibility workshops as they relate to visitors with vision and hearing loss. Now, she knows a thing or two about making facts a story and meeting the multiple needs of a client committee. Seriously, folks, a committee. I can relate to that, and I bet you can too. You don't want to miss her telling us how to handle these highly charged pitch meetings. Be sure to stick around for my Story Maven takeaways after the interview. Now, here's my conversation with Stacia Boyd. Uh, my title is President and Creative Director of Q Media Productions, Inc. Um, I own the company with my husband and partner, Mike Lutz. He is the uh, Vice President and all things. Um, uh, he, we always tell everybody that you know, I'm in promises and he's in delivery. So I, I do the front end creative. He does the back end production that. creative. So um, that's, uh, that's kind of our division of labor. Uh, and we are a small company. We're truly a mom and pop shop. The, the two of us, and we have a handful of regular contractors that we have worked with over the past 18 years to produce our projects. So, um, uh, and from time to time, we've had, you know, part-time employees or one or two employees or something of, of that nature. But um, even before COVID, we had really pulled it back into being just really a, a boutique niche of a niche um, business and business model, because that's that's what we've always liked. And um, so, exactly. So when you're Production company says that it delivers mobile. So tell me exactly what it what it means. Me, mobile media tours. So what does that what does that mean? Well, it's like the um, literally what it means is if you go to a museum or a gallery or a place like that, and you um, and you have you ever taken an audio tour? You know, the most famous of them are the um, Alcatraz audio tour or the uh, Ellis Island audio tour. Those like that's the, right. the origination of them. And so essentially, a person would pick up a device and it would be an audio show, an audio program that moved with the person through the space. So essentially, the way we look at it is what we're doing is the stories that we're telling are moving with that visitor through the space. That's our specialty. So whether that is on an audio guide device, which is basically a hyped up MP3 player, or it's uh, downloaded onto an app, which is the same kind of idea, an enhanced audio tour, whether it's a mobile media tour. So now that we have, you know, smart devices and iPod touches and whatever, we can expand that storytelling out to be not just audio, which I don't think of as, as, a, as a diminution at all. Um, it can include audio and video and images and, and all, on and on and on. But the key defining thing is that the story moves with the visitor through the space. And um, like, that's what our tagline is, uh, um, stories you take with you. So it's nice. the story itself is traveling with the person. 
but the um, we want that story to stay with that visitor. They go to a museum and they hear, or a, a visitor, a natural national park or something, and they're hearing the story of, uh, like for example, right now we're working on um, Horseshoe Bend National Military Park or um, Mount Rushmore, or Mount Rushmore for the National Park Service. And um, you know, when we people walk away, we want them to walk away with that emotional impact of what occurred at that place. That's so terrific. And you mentioned Mount Rushmore and you all you all did the audio tour for Mount Rushmore and uh, maybe it's more than the audio tour. It's pretty comprehensive what you all did. Yes. You won some awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that project actually was really cool. And we did that project um, the first time we started working for them was back in 2006 or so. And that was a strictly an audio tour. So the um, the project that we worked with, we worked with the team, the the, the park rangers and uh, we were actually uh, hired by the nonprofit partner. Every every national park has a nonprofit partner, and a lot of times they will be part of fundraising. They'll run the bookstores. They are um, a, a donation wing. Um, so we worked for them to do this do this project, and then it was part of. As it turned out, it was going to be one of their um, major funding things, and it ended up being uh, in the years after it was launched their their number one revenue generator. It was the number one thing that they they made made money with over the over the years, um, and twenty gosh a couple of years ago so I'd say 2017, 2018, somewhere in there they, it was time to upgrade it had been in place for ten years. Um, interestingly, the content that we had written and produced uh, was still as relevant as ever. I mean the the even with all of the changes that had happened in the world and in, in the U S especially um, when we worked to get that story right back in the day. Um, it was, it still held up, you know, and so we said, okay, well, we're going to just take the content that we already created and repurpose it. Some, we moved it to a, a smart device. We added, um, video clips. So for example, now, in addition to standing at the base of the, the talus slope, which is all that debris that has come off where they, they blasted the rock off, looking up to the, to the thing, um, you can now see, in addition to hearing the story of that, of how that happened. You can actually see here a, a vintage shot of that piece of rock blasting off the mountain. Um, but it does kind of come back to that question of storytelling you were talking about with, with Mount Rushmore. You know, I mean, right now, Mount Rushmore has been, it's called the Shrine to Democracy. But it was created as a tourist trap. I mean, that's exactly what it was supposed to be. It was about tourism. Um, it is also incredibly controversial. Uh, the the The... Mount Rushmore is carved into a mountain that is that was part of the Lakota Nation, and when gold was found in them, their mountains, you know, they they went ahead and tossed the Laramie Treaty, you know, right out the window, and the next thing you know, it's like you know they're blasting into rock that was part of the sacred Black Hills of the Lakota Nation. So we had to tell this story in a way, and we we get we had a this challenge. We had to tell the story. Said, okay, look, if um if we have to change one word of it to make it okay for the Native American population. If we have to change one word of it to make it a pal palatable for someone else, then we will have failed in telling that story. So that's why it held up. It's because you, you've, got, you've got to get down to the nitty gritty of what this story is. So that's really uh, an interesting, and I'm my family is was a Navy family. I grew up in the Navy, and so we have traveled all over the world. And so I have been uh, at many museums and many national monuments <laughs> had a device in my ear for, you know, a good portion of my life um, and have been to Mount Rushmore twice uh, on our trips um, and know it well and know the stories well. Um, and so that, that was just really, really fascinating to me. Um, you are, you're essentially combining storytelling with factual reporting. Um, and really understanding how to how to tell a story about the information, because if you just gave an audio tour that was bullet points, right? You know, of factual information, no one would listen to that. Well, and that kind of goes back to the whole thing. I mean, there are a lot of people out in the world, like you know, oh my god, I hate audio tours. Oh my god, I hate audio tours. I'm like, well, that makes as much sense as saying, oh my god, I hate books. Oh my god, I hate movies. It's like, no, you, you don't like bad books. You don't like uh, terrible movies. <laughs> Most people right. don't care for things that don't interest them. I mean, that's, that's what it is. And I think, unfortunately, there have been a lot of people who have been 
subjected to basically the what I the, the audio tours that I call you know here are the facts recited in order audio tour <laughs> just um, the facts ma'am <laughs> just the facts ma'am it's like you know wow can we just redefine suck right there that's uh, that's a lot of suck when you're listening to it like you said in your ear here you are in this amazing space yeah. surrounded by this incredible stuff and it, and actually the, the kind of a sidebar note that is one of the things that makes this particular storytelling writing unique in that in general the audience is standing in the space when the story is being told. So if you're telling a historical story and you're standing in Shiloh, if you're telling a artistic story and you're standing in front of the painting, I mean, it's a, your, your listener, your experiencer is in the scene, right? They, they don't have so, to imagine it. Right. Um, right which what, is what you would do if you were reading a book about, if I was reading a book about Mount Rushmore, I would have to be imagining it. Right. Or looking at a picture or you'd be like looking at the film on the screen um, if you're doing a film. But in that case, what we're asking them to imagine is something bigger and broader. So we're so we're we're bringing in the senses. So, for example, um, you know, Mount Rushmore is a, in a, a one of those places where the weather, just the extremes of the weather are insane. So we don't we don't know if that person's going to be listening to it and if it's going to be three degrees below zero or if it's going to be 98. We just don't know. Um, but what we do know is that if they're standing on the Grandview Terrace and they're looking up at Mount Rushmore, we know that distance. We know that there's gonna be air movement. We know that there's going to be a little bit of wind because there always is just because of where it's located in the Black Hills. So we can reference that and say, you know, as you stand here looking up, you know, feeling the wind, blah, blah, blah. And now it's anchored that person into that story. They are now literally in the story. And then you use sound effects, you use music, you use uh, whatever you can to like bring the other elements, the, the other senses into the story. Um, but you would ask another question first and I've got, I've got myself lost. See, what, this is what happens when I sidebar myself. Well, this is, <laughs> that's why I always say this is a conversation. This isn't 60 minutes. We just talk and talk and talk and talk. Um, well, tell me a little bit about when you are, um, when you're talking with the people who've contracted you. Um, the the people who are you know charged with keeping this monument or this place, um, and some of the others are the, the Walt Disney um, Family Museum, Holocaust Museum, uh, Houston. I mean Holocaust Museums across the country. Yeah. So there's some of them are kind of these historical uh, places, but then there's also the Kennedy Space Center. Yeah. Um, and and so maybe some in Port Canaveral. So maybe some more <laughs> vacational, uh, you know, vacation right. uh, commercial sites. Yeah. Um, so I think there would be a bigger, a different need. I would imagine the Walt Disney Family Museum, they have uh, um, a vested interest in how you're going to tell that story. That, and what you said about talking with the park rangers, these are people who care deeply about the place and how it's represented. So how do you how do you have that pitch meeting? How does that conversation go when you say, we want to bring the drama, we want to bring some elements of, of storytelling. I mean, what, what are you saying there um, that doesn't make them go, no, 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 <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> well, uh, one, one minor point of clarification, the project that we did for Mount, for Walt Disney Family Museum, they already had their story written by another company years ago. What we were adding, we were doing audio descriptions, so we were making that story accessible to people who were blind. We also added an, a, a sign language version, and then we were doing multiple languages. I think we did added Arabic and uh, Brazilian and like four, three or four other languages. So, so we, the people who actually wrote charges writing that story had done it before. Um, but to your point though, about how you, you talk to these, these organizations, these companies. So basically there's like the, the multiple steps. There's one is like, you know, before we hire you, we hired you. Now we're working with you. So the, the, before somebody is there, what they want to know when you're working with an organization that does have a powerful story, at least that this is the, um, what I've kind of discovered is they wonder if they can trust you. Can they trust you to tell their story, not your version of their story? Um, because everybody and their brothers come up and said, oh my gosh, here's what you gotta do. Here's how you need to say it, you know. Um, they have a history of being disappointed with people, um, especially with people who are just gonna come in here and tell them what they're doing wrong. Um, our, well, our approach is a process approach. So it's like, at the end of the day, it's our goal is to make Whatever, whatever they want to say, to say it better than they thought they could and be more effective with it. So we're not trying to redo their story. So then there's the 
at the immediately after they've hired you. So now they trust you immediately after they've hired you, you're sitting down with the, the team. And usually it's like, you know, when we go in and work with these teams, they are the best and the brightest of their, of their organizations. They are geniuses. Um, yeah, well, PhDs and, and masters and, and curators and directors, and, and they're very passionate. I mean, nobody goes into this kind of public service, you know, looking for fame and fortune. If They'd be totally disappointed if they were. Um, but and they, they spent are, but, probably years of their lives studying. Yes, yes. And, they, and, and there's a, there is a very, and they are also very personally passionate about this. So you have both the, they're highly educated and personally passionate. Um, and so now you're going to sit at this table and, uh, there's actually one short story. I'll, I'll give you this one. So we did a project year, one of our early projects. And this is probably when I first really started learning this lesson. We were hired to work with the Murakami Museum and Japanese gardens in uh, South Florida. And we go in for our first meeting and, you know, there's me and Mike and, you know, our little team. And then the first person was the curator. And he's like, you know, look, I'm really a very busy man. I put some together a couple of notes for you. I don't really have time for this, but here you go. And he shoved a stack of papers across. I mean, it was like five, six inches high. I mean, a, a few notes he pulled up, you know, he's an academic. Right next to him was um, a man by the name of Huichi Kurisu, and Huichi Kurisu is a Japanese garden designer, world-renowned garden designer. He was there because it was so important to him that we don't do this. As far as he was concerned, audio tours, mobile tours, had no place in Japanese garden design. That's not why I was here. He's here to protest. Sitting next to him was a board member. She goes, hello, I'm the board member. I'm putting the bill for this entire thing. And what I really want is for my friends to understand what we are, um, you know, what these plants are and what we're doing and why we're here. Right next to her was the facility director. And he's like, okay, we've talked about this. We're not here to do a botanical tour. This is not a botanical garden, Hoichi, but we do need to explain to people what's going to happen. So these people are going to help us. The next to them is marketing. She's like, I don't care what you do as long as I can sell it. Next to them was the education, education department. And she's like, as long as it's correct, I'm okay with that. And then right next to her was a person who worked at the garden who said, I really have no idea why I'm here. You know, this is fantastic. <laughs> But I'm always talking about you have multiple audience that you're telling your story to. And yeah. you need to, you have your target audience, right. which is ultimately your consumer. But in that process, there are multiple audiences that you have to talk to. And you basically just listed them all. <laughs> My gosh. Okay, so tell me what happened. What did you do? Here's, here's how it ends. Um, well, how, how did you please these people? Well, the thing is, is that, you know, I, I think, first of all, it's like when you're looking at any team, any group that's coming together to create a, a product, especially a creative product, is this team is tasked with starting from nothing and creating something. Every member of that team needs to be heard. They need to be at least they need to show the their, their contribute these contributions show up in the work. Um, a big part of that is we do spend, we spent two days with these folks and, and, you know, and by the end of it, every time we said something, you know, a lot of heads nodded and said, okay, yeah, I understand. But we had to make sure that we listened and heard what they were saying, especially when, when you're talking about Huichi Kurisu. I mean, here's a guy who basically flat out says, I don't want you here, honey. And um, next to him is a person going, yeah, but I'm paying for her to be here. There's a dynamic going on between these two people that as both a creative director, as a project manager, is important that you have to work with and finesse also as a human being and as a storyteller that you're going, okay, both of these people have something very important to say. Um, the way we ended up worrying about it is working with it is, you know, we, we have a, a very clear process and our process starts with um, essentially establishing the emotional goal. And so we went around the room and said, when, when your, when your ideal visitor leaves here, you want them to leave here feeling what? If you could personally talk to every single person that walked in here, because that's about what you're going to be able to do, you'd want them to walk away feeling what? And so we start with that. And we get to the point where we found consensus on what is the, the number one overriding emotional impact that they wanted to have. And then from there, we said, okay, now we can look at all of these different things, all of these different stories, and we can say, okay, what is going to be the most effective way of the two things we're looking at here, which one will more effectively deliver that emotional impact? Now, for example, with Hoichi, uh, one of the first things we did was in our first track, it said, if you want the pure garden experience, take, put this thing down, take it back to the desk and get your money back. It's problem solved. Um, 
that for the person who wanted that light touch, we created a very, a very lyrical and very um, almost poetic little 30 seconds. So if they just want to have a gentle nudge in any direction, they could hear that standing in the space. Then we had pieces that were a lot more in depth on garden design. And we ended up, Hoichi was interviewed and was as part of the tour. Um, the curator, Tom, he was interviewed part of the tour, uh, the director. Um, so not only did they get to have their, their, their emotional needs met, which was, I need to know that what, that I am being here, heard and respected. Um, but that you as the writer, the storyteller, the, um, the, the, the aggregator of all of this is holding it with respect and competence before you try to move it forward. Wow. Wow. Amazing. So talk a little bit more about that emotional goal and how you find that for each of your projects. How do you find that? I'm always preaching as I've uh, preached to you the other day, <laughs> universal. So we relate specific. So we care universal. So we relate and you're, yes. you're really capturing it there. So tell, tell me your process for finding that universal theme, that emotional goal. Yeah, and, I, and again, I love the, 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 the direct simplicity of those two things. It's like, yes, it has to be, be universal. It has to be something that we relate to as human beings, but that has to be something specific because that's the way our minds work. You know, that's, you know, while we are advanced enough, we can understand grand concepts, when it really comes to like telling a story, it's the thread that we follow, all right? Um, and I think most people like you and I and other people who work in this storytelling uh, that's our that's our number one thing that we're working on. That's that's the the blueprint. That's the the crux of it. Um, when you're operating outside of the storytelling realm, when you're operating with um, either I would say nonprofit clients or or whatever, it's getting them to understand that no matter what you do when you tell the story, you're trying to get an emotional reaction. And the first thing is like, oh no 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 no, that's manipulation. I don't want to manipulate. And I'm like, you don't want to do that. No, that's what impact is. Impact is the emotional response to whatever story you just told. So, and I, I usually use the example, and I think we, we talked about this a little the other day, is that, you know, if you go to the movies and if you go to see a romantic comedy, you expect to laugh and to feel, oh, if you go to a horror movie, you expect to be, you know, on the edge of your seat, screaming at some point with your fingers over your eyes. If you're not, you didn't get what you paid for, right? Um, and that happens one of two ways. Either it was poorly done or they didn't know what kind of film they were making, right? What happens, I think, with, um, especially in the, the land of museums, nonprofits, things of that nature, is that they shy away from the emotional response because they don't want to be manipulative. They don't want to, like, sit there and, like, twist on somebody's uh, emotions, and I look at that as that there's powers for good and there's powers for evil. Don't use your powers for evil. Use them for good. Um, but do understand that if you want to have zero impact, then don't reach them emotionally. And the, the reality is a consumer, a listener, an audience member is going to have an emotional reaction. Yes. This is more yes. an awareness piece. Be aware what emotional reaction do you think they expect to have? Do you want them to have? Do you want to share with them? Because they're going to have one, right, whether you, you don't like it, it or not. Yeah, and you don't want it to be my emotional reaction is bored or my emotional <laughs> action is duh. My emotional reaction is Jesus, how much did I just spend for that? I mean, there is, what's the, um, the we don't have neutral. We, as, as right. humans, you know, we don't have a neutral. It's like, and people will have a, an emotional reaction in the shortest amount of time to the stupidest thing. You know, you can walk down the street, they see a piece of paper on the ground, they're like, oh my God, people are just horrible litter bugs, you know, or they'll be um, driving in their car and somebody will accidentally, you know, pull over, you know, or they'll be walking by and they'll see like this, this little drop of rain that's about to land on a spider. They'll go, oh my God, the poor spider. I mean, we have these emotional reactions to everything if you aren't trying to do it that i think as a if you're trying to tell a story if you're asking people for their attention if you're asking them to to engage with you and then you say yeah but i'm not gonna i'm, I'm not gonna give you anything i'm not gonna give you anything i'm not gonna try and touch you i'm not gonna try and reach you then you're not you're not fulfilling your role and that's i think that's just as manipulative yeah it's just as it's, it's manipulation by either I didn't know any better or I didn't care. I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know I should do. I didn't know I should try and tell an effective story. Um, 
And again, that's goes back. You were asking earlier about the emotional goal and how to make sure that it's effective. So uh, one of the, the ways we come to that is, like I said, we start with the question of how do you want them to feel? And, um, and I love the thing in yours when you're talking about uh, folks who are trying to understand, you know, hunger. And it's like, okay, hunger is, that's, let's get, let's get deeper. What does this really mean? Where are we going deeply with that? And it's like, okay, we're paying rent. It's trying to get the food on the table. It's I've got these other, I've got children, whatever. And then you start getting down to the crux of that. It's fear. It's in some cases it moves into terror. Now that's where you have to like figure out where you put your foot on the gas. Um, if you start getting into terror, to terrorize people, to give you money so that you can, and, and you're manipulating your story in order to make that happen, then shame on you. Yeah, that is manipulative and that is wrong. But if you, as the, the, the client, the storyteller are going, it's like, yeah, I understand that. I understand these people's fears. I understand who they are and what the problem is. Here's how the solution that we're offering. Can you see it too? Can you empathize with them? Can you now feel and be part of that story, then then that's that's not wrong. Um, it's almost like what, what do they say the uh, the answer to you know what's your worst quality? It's like well it's my best quality taken one step too far. Um, yes. That's the same thing with storytelling. It's like you know it's one thing if you're trying to to and again it doesn't have to be you know fear. It can also be inspiration. It could be connection. It could be um, awe. Uh, the one we did for Mount Rushmore was awe. It, we I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> that is and, the feeling I have there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, but you're talking about, look at the stories that you're trying to figure out. And, you know, the, the, the idea of awe was Mount Rushmore. It's like, first of all, the thing is massive. At the same time, you have these little niggling facts in there that aren't so awesome. The thing that we looked at was that the awesome part of this, the awesome thing that we connected with was that in spite of our many, many failures, the shrine of democracy represents that we transcend ourselves, that we have transcended our leaders. We have transcended the best of the, of the people that were in our past. You know, can our best be better than their best? And so we take it that that's the awesome position. Um, and again, somebody else would have done, this, done an awesome job to it, it would have come out differently. It's a process. When you, when you sit down with, um, a museum or a national monument or a park, a client of any kind, how do you, how do you get to that emotional goal? Do you give them a list of, of emotional words? Do you take them through a specific process or do you come to it already thinking, I think it's probably along these lines or are you really like, like you did with the Japanese gardens? We're going to interview each person here. What is it that you want them to feel? And then be able to find that, that, emotional goal, that theme from that it's interview. Absolutely. The charrette version. It's absolutely that, that group consensus, you know, I mean, it's, it's whiteboards and big sticky pads and everything. And, you know, we're having conversation and we usually spend the first two to three hours with this small group of people. And it's small, it could be anywhere from six. And I think we've had them up to 20, you know, for wow. some of these projects. And we're really, and we just write every word down. And then we're like, okay, does this word fit under this word? Is this the strongest word? Is this the most effective word? And what's really fascinating to me about it is that these are people who have worked together on the same mission for years and they don't agree. They've never had this conversation. They've never or had they this thought they knew. They, they thought they were all on the same page. And sometimes it's subtle differences. Sometimes, you know, there's the one person who always pulls out the mission statement. And I'm like, yes, but what does that mean to you? Um, or there's the person who like, you know, uh, they had a past connection to it that they've never really shared. That's not common knowledge that kind of comes out as part of this. And so then what we're looking for is we're looking for the one and we're all going to say, okay, this is the one. This is a thing. It's going to be, and I try to get down to one word if I can, one phrase if I can, if I can't do that one sentence. Um, and I call, and once I tell, I tell everybody that this is now our rudder. This is the rudder. This is the thing that every other decision we make is going to be measured against. When we start selecting which stops, which one is going to give us the, the strongest ability to achieve that emotional goal? When we the words that we use, the music that we select, the order that we choose, the stories that we tell, because most people get caught up in the idea of, well, that's a good story or that's a bad story. It's like, no, stories are stories. Again, if it's assuming that they're all well told, what we're trying to figure out is which story is going to 
get us to that emotional state. So uh, one of the best examples of that really is I think working with Holocaust museums. Um, because Holocaust museums, the facts are the facts, the pictures are the pictures, the history is the history. They're all working from the same information. Um, but the tours and the stories that we've told that each one of the project groups that we've worked with has always been very different because the people there are very different. They have a, they want a different emotional impact. We worked with one and their, what they wanted was, they wanted like righteous anger. They wanted never again. That's one tour. Another nearby uh, Holocaust Museum, they wanted, we want um, uh, emotional connection to survivors. We want them to see these people as heroes, as, as heroes of their own story. Um, same facts, totally different tours. Oh, yeah. That's, that is really terrific. That's really terrific. I'm always talking about um, that there is no way, if anybody tells you, oh, here's a system for telling a good story, you're in trouble. Don't <laughs> listen to that person. Because <laughs> what you need are these kind of, I, my approach is a tool approach, yeah. a toolbox approach. Yeah. What you need are these tools where you can adapt uh, story by story, audience by audience, environment by environment. Right. Um, one of, one of the jobs that I did for many years was writing for a church and I would write the Advent devotions. Right. So that's four weeks of information, same story, week one, same, <laughs> every year, <laughs> every year, doesn't change, doesn't change. Doesn't change. Wise men come when the wise men come, <laughs> angel shows up when the angel shows up. That's what happens. There you go. Then is <laughs> the fact, kids. <laughs> and so why why do we need to do something different every year? Well, our lives change every year. Right. Different things are going on in the world every year. We right. care about different things. There's different new interesting technology and new things happening that make right. us look at life differently. Yeah. And so the environment around the people who are listening to the story is an important consideration in telling a story that is, this is the story. Here are the facts. Here are the pictures. Here are, right. here is, here is the written word that this is, you get to use these three lines, tell a story about that. Right. Um, so I, I think that's such an important consideration. So interesting. Um, and, and I think you, know, you talk about the toolbox approach, which I, I absolutely agree with it. I think one of the things that, um, Sometimes people get hung up with it. And I, and I know that I do as well. You know, every time a new bit of technology comes out, there's always somebody running up going, oh my God, now we can like add this element and there could be AR and we're going to have, you know, this like mm -hmm. things projected up onto a screen and they're going to walk up. And I'm like, okay, all of those are, are parts of it. But when it comes down to the, the root of storytelling, you got three tools, you've got words, you've got sounds and you've got images, you know, yeah. that's the, that's your root toolbox. And then from there, each of those apply with different technologies or techniques or, or however they're, they're used. And you can tell a full story just with one. You can tell a full story with two. You can tell a full story with three. You don't have to have mixing more things doesn't necessarily make it better. Again, what the way you can tell if something is quote unquote better is, is it delivering that em emotional effective goal? Um, people you know, have that connection to it yeah and we've had i mean we've done projects you know where where we'll have people weeping you know they'll they'll be mo nine nine out of ten people who take the tour are going to experience the weep in the same spot every single time wow. um but we've also had and that's been effective because that now if they were doing that and we didn't we wanted to laugh there that would be a, that'd be a horrible story wouldn't it <laughs> that would be a big old failure um <laughs> But we've also had some where, and actually I observed this, and this was not one of our projects. It was before we started our tour or started our business. And Mike and I had gone to um, Ellis Island and uh, one of the major audio tour companies had done a project there. And we're standing in the gray. If you haven't been there, there's like the big entry area where people would file in and they were in the lines going on and on. Well, people have the, their audio device held up to their ear and they're all kind of following the same track. There wasn't any, there was no rope stanchions, but you were kind of told this stop here, go over here next, go over here next. Um, at the same point, as people like were walking across this grand open space, they would kind of be looking forward into the front corner because obviously something on the audio was talking about something over there. And then at the same moment, every single one of them 
would swing and turn around and look behind them and look up into a skylight. Every single time. They were all following, you know. And so if somebody was walking by and didn't do that, then they weren't listening, right? But that motion was happening. And so they were enwrapped enough in the story that that motion was thoughtless. They didn't, they didn't, they weren't self-conscious about making the motion. They were all engaged in whatever the connection was between the thing they heard first and the thing they heard second. Um, and so you can witness this happening. So these are little things. That actually kind of goes back to the idea of effective storytelling, which, um, and again, I, I don't know how much time we have, but one of the things that we talk to our clients about is how you're going to measure it. You know, when you're, you're going to put this mobile tour in, you're going to put this audio tour in or whatever, um, is your, are you going to measure it by how much money it makes? Are you going to measure it by how many people take it, your pickup rate? Are you going to measure it by, you know, some kind of an engagement? What is that measuring thing? Um, because for example, pickup rates, uptake, engagements, most of those are, that's a function of your marketing department. I've taken crappy tours that have had really high pickup rates and they've got killer marketing, right? Um, but I've also taken wonderful tours that have gotten incredibly great visitor feedback that a lot of people don't take, but the client is still completely happy because the people who did take it got the emotional impact that they wanted. So if you're going to measure your storytelling effectiveness, you need to know what you're trying to get out of it. So for example, if it's a marketing or fundraising piece and your goal is for it to mark, to make money, <laughs> right. then, you know, if everybody loves it, but nobody's giving you any money, well, then that's not effective storytelling. You right. didn't effectively tell that story to get what you needed. But if you were trying to do a piece where you're trying to thank um, donors or, or show them how their, their money has, has donations have impacted your organization, then you don't have to make money. You're not measuring that. You're measuring it from the emotional effect of that, that donor when they're walking out of that event going, that was amazing. I, I really feel like I have get, I've, I, I feel it. I feel like I'm where you are. I'm like I'm, I'm part of something bigger than myself. Nice. Nice. That's a great, that's a great thought uh, that, of how to measure and, and what we need to do to measure it. Um, in terms of crafting the stories and crafting um, uh, how you tell them, mm -hmm. um, knowing how far to go and, and what detail to bring in. Um. For me, and this is something that I'm, I, I'm very strong about when it comes to my writing and my work, is I want it to be evocative. It needs to say something. The, the language itself, unless there's a reason for it not to be beautiful, unless I'm trying to convey something ugly or, or difficult or, or sharp, sharp or choppy, I, I want people to really be able to hear in the language what it is. They, could, they should be able to feel it. You know, you should be able to feel those glistening white sands. You know, it's um, that that going back to the craft of, of writing itself. Um, I think a lot of times when people are when they are trying to 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 write something um, and, I, and kind of trying to like organize my thoughts on this one. OK, here's here's the thing we talked about this the other day about how. I always say that bad scripts can be written by good writers. They're just writing for the wrong industry. Um, a script that is, uh, you know, I have people that would send me scripts for um, to, to polish and review, and I can always tell who wrote it because the marketing people write a certain way. The educators write a certain way. Yes. The curators write a certain way. So I can always <laughs> see. And again, these are not bad writers. They're, they're, they're no. very good writers. But the writing that we're doing is not written to be read. It's written to be heard which is incredibly important. The way we process what we hear is very different than when we process what we read. Um, I actually have a, a, a thing with my clients. I always say, I don't, I never send them a first draft to read. I won't do that anymore. I did that the first couple of times. I'm like, okay, these people are like correcting commas and I'm talking about flow and we're getting nowhere. Right. So yes. now I make sure I go back for the, I, I, they don't get it in advance. I walk out there, I have the script. The first time they experience that first draft is when I read it aloud to them. In the space, the consumer is going to hear it, right? right? The same way, Brilliant. because otherwise they're like, going, "Oh my God, this is like written like for a fourth grade level." Like we're dumbing it down, and I've always said, any, if anybody who works for me uses the phrase "dumbing it down," they are fired instantly, <laughs> um, because it is not dumb to be understood, 
And it is certainly not dumb to convey an emotional uh, event. I mean, that is not an easy thing to do. That takes skill and it takes craft. Um, but that idea of, of, of putting together a, a script that is going to effectively do what you said, A, they're standing right there. In the case of White Sands, they were standing in front of exhibits and you could see the sand dunes out the window. They were all right there. Mm. Um, you have the ability to, to write, if you, if you will let yourself, if, and if you're, especially if your client will let you. Now you can never do it. You can, ne we can never do a better project than our clients will let us do. Um, oh, woo, but, that's well said. <laughs> <laughs> From my mouth to God's ear, honey. God. <laughs> that's what um, I, I, that, we might need to put that on a bumper sticker somewhere and need to point it. <laughs> can never do a better project than our clients are willing to let us do. Wow, right. good one. <laughs> because part of it is, you know, you know, our, we, when we are, People have a tendency to hold back and they, they don't, you, they don't let their mind give the most beautiful thing. They don't, there's, they have their own fear of being mocked or ridiculed or it's not good enough or whatever. And you, especially when you're writing and then you're going to commit those words to some type of permanence or semi-permanence in the case of an audio tour or a, a project like that. Um, and then they're going to go out into the world and they're going to be judged. Sure. You're going to get judged. That's and some hard. people are going to judge you harshly. And some people are going to judge you un, uh, too well, actually too well for what you've done. They'll be like, oh my God, that was amazing. And you're like, yeah, I wasn't my best. <laughs> but, I, but thank you. Um, but they do have, as a writer um, and as a storyteller, when you're trying to talk to a client, you're trying to, to, to coach, especially one that's going to write them for themselves, is to say, you know, the, the number one thing to, to realize is that when you tell these stories and you tell it in a way that is producing a, a wonderful feeling in somebody or a, a targeted feeling in somebody, that's good. That's magic. That's the, that's the magic of using all of your brain and all of your heart and then putting it through your fingers and sending it out into the world. Yeah, that's great. So tell me, how did you come into this world. Now I know you because uh, we started out as actresses together back in the day when we were still called actresses. I think we would be called actors now. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me about that journey into this work. Well, and it's actually, it's a, it's a love story. Um, my, I was, again, going back to the acting days, I had gotten finally, I finally decided to get over myself. And uh, apply to work at Universal Studios. Uh, I used to be one of those snobby little actresses that thought, I was like, oh my God, we're getting the same part. That's not really acting. It's like, I'm really acting has to do with the theater, you know, and film. Um, I'm going to do like student film projects and make no money and free theater and make no money, but I'm going to be so proud. Because um, well, we were 20 and that was fine. That was exactly. fine when we were 20. Yeah, there's a romance in being poor when you're in your 20s. Oh, Ain't no romance. Terrific. Yeah, so, so I start working at Universal, get a job, get hired out there, and my first day on the job, uh, March, which is I think March fifteenth of nineteen ninety five, the guy I'm going in for my training, and the sound engineer is a fellow by the name of Mike Lutz. And, but we started dating, and of course, you know, we got no money. You know, we're not very wealthy people, but we both loved museums, and so for our dates, you know, we'd go to museums, and it didn't matter what it was. It could be, you know. A, a big huge museum or it could be the world's biggest ball of string you know we don't we don't care um and um and then we ended up getting married in uh, 1998 and for our honeymoon we went to um san francisco and we went to alcatraz and we took the uh, the audio tour at alcatraz it was just so amazing and everywhere we would go we would take these audio tours and if they had them if they offered them and i would listen to it for the storytelling you know because some of it was so amazing like Alcatraz was, which by the way, interestingly enough, was produced by a company called, was created, um, they were called Antenna Theater. The first version of this was done by a theater company that then turned into a company called Antenna Audio, and they became like the leading audio tour That's production weird. company forever. Um, and then lo and behold, many years later, when we did the, the Mount Rushmore tour, our Mount Rushmore tour bested them in several national competitions over the Ellis Island tour. I mean, excuse me, the Alcatraz tour. Um, but so then we're like going on dates, you know, and uh, then we get married and we're still going to museums and still taking audio tours. And uh, then 9-11 happens. 
and um, September, not, uh, not September 11th, um, 2001, and of course the world was shaken. Uh, story, what we were doing at Universal at the time I was working in the uh, Terminator venue, which basically the, the summation of that story is, you know, people are going about their business in a, a corporation and a couple of terrorists break in and at the end of it, they blow everything up. Right. Um, and it was very, it was very hard. I was, I was very, very shaken. And um, my and a month later, October 24th is our anniversary. And so for our anniversary, Mike and I decided to go to Fantasy of Flight, which is one of our favorite airplane museums. And uh, Mike is a savant when it comes to World War II aircraft. He knows every plane. He knows what kind of engines in it. He knows what, what theater it flew in. He knew, knows who flew them. Um, so we're walking through this museum and they don't have an audio tour. They have little gallery cards that say, you know, the engine is, has this much torque and the wings are this wide. And, so he's telling me all these incredible stories about who flew these planes and the impact that it had and the, the person's life. And we're like, man, you know, this place needs one of them audio tours. Who does that? And how hard mm -hmm. could it be? So that was the genesis. <laughs> here's, a, here's a voiceover <laughs> artist and a sound designer walk, and, walk through a museum. Exactly. I wonder who could do this. <laughs> yeah, how hard could that be? Fantastic. Seven months later, we launched Q Media. Um, I, I quit my job at Universal uh, and uh, Mike kept working. He was working like three and four jobs, if you counted, you know, the stuff he was doing for us and playing music uh, for two and a half years when we launched that business. Sure. And then when it finally got to where we were making enough money that we could both both be in it full time, he quit Universal full time. And we've been the two of us just working the business together ever since. Oh, that is wonderful. I, you know, I, I do think the family that, you know, goes to museums and audio tours together stays together. We, we love it as a family. <laughs> My husband and I, we went to last year, we went to Barcelona and downloaded Rick Steves tour of Barcelona. E each of us had one AirPod shared yeah. an yeah. iPhone and wandered the streets listening to this incredible story and I, I love I love what you say about that it journeys with you the story yeah. journeys with you because that's really a story is taking you on a journey yeah. and you're already you're journeying and right. so it's, it's just the perfect marriage and it is I, I you know when you go back to that idea of something that stays with you you know I've I'm an experienced girl you know I like experiences you know I don't I'm not jewelry chick. I'm not going to be the one that's out there, you know, accumulating lots of lots of things. But I love experiences. And all these years later, the, that Alcatraz tour, the one of the story that stuck with me the most was um, the story of the gentleman that had been put in solitary confinement. Now, I can't remember his name. So the details escape me. But the story, they would close that door and it would be pitch black in there. And what he would do is he would pull a button off of his shirt and he'd throw it up in the air and he'd let it land. And then he'd crawl around on the floor and find it. And then he'd stand up and he'd throw that button up again. And he'd let it land. And he, and he did that for the time that he was in solitary. And so you're in that space. You're in that darkened space. You're hearing that story. You're hearing the sound effects. It made the most lifetime impression upon me. Um, and as part of that story, they, 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 they made this person real. Um, his was not the one where they reminded you that these people were actually quite horrible, but, but they did make that case in other places. Um, but they were able to, to make this longer thing that's, that was so impactful. It's just stayed with me. And that was, I've been married to have 20 something years, 20, 20 years. Yeah. yeah 22, amazing. 22 years. Yeah. Terrific. So tell me how, how can people find you and, and know what you guys are doing and, uh, and 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 where they can find your audio tours? Well, there our tours are all over the place, and because we um, work behind the scenes, we're hired. Yes. By, you know, our our name's not going to be on anything. It's going to be uh, it's going to be you know by the Mount Rushmore Historical Society, or it's going to be by right. the Holocaust Museum Houston Society. So, um, but if you want to just find out more about us, it's uh, on the web. It's Q as in the letter Q Media Productions with an S dot com. Um, kind of see a little bit more about who we are and what we do. Uh, we do um, three different types of projects. We, it's called interpretive, which is general storytelling. Um, Multi-language, so we take those stories and translate them into everything from Spanish to Lakota. 
Um, and then accessibility for audio description and American Sign Language so that these stories are, you know, without borders and without barriers. Um, so that's our that's where we're easy to find uh, on the on Facebook, uh, the Q Media Productions on Facebook, uh, not as active on there as, you know, we probably should be, but that's OK. <laughs> you're busy. You're busy yeah. telling stories. <laughs> that's and, um, fantastic. And that's and that's the thing. So I and thank you for for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. You know, we so great to talk to you about this and to <laughs> to hear your process because you have a real process, and I love that. Yeah, and I think that if there is probably like one takeaway from from our work that we try and give you understand is that you know it's a process. Learn the process, apply the process every single time, and you will come out with something good. And it will always be different. You know, we, we talk about how basically when it comes to any type of creative development or creative production, there are five and only five steps. There are development, pre-production, production, post-production, post and delivery. And that's it. You know, do those, do the tasks associated with each of those things, do them in that order, and you will come out with on the other end, the project that you wanted. Within the storytelling component of it, it's don't be afraid to get don't be, don't be afraid of the emotional goal. In fact, embrace it, find it. That's, that's your rudder. That's your guide. That's your North star to put this thing together. Um, and then use your structure, use the basic structure of storytelling. And again, there's a lot of them out there. You know, some of them get so complicated. It's like, you got to have a PhD to, to, to follow the conversation, but for the main, th the main thing, somebody to care about something that's happening, some action that's taking place something that's preventing that ind individual that you care about from getting whatever it is that they want. It has to take place somewhere. There has to be a scene, there has to be a setting and there has to be a point of view, there has to be a purpose. So if you have those five things within those other five things, you got this. Perfect, what a great, great place to end so that people can, people can really take that and really do that. Well, that was so helpful to me to hear her navigating pitch meetings and navigating all of the different perspectives that have a vested interest in how the story is told and how copy is created and how that message gets out there. I've had multiple experiences like that probably every week, and I'm sure you do too. So the Story Maven takeaways for this week from our conversation with Stacey Boyd was number one, get buy-in from every stakeholder by getting them on board with one emotional goal. So how do we find that emotional goal? Well, the question she used I thought was really great. How do I want my audience to feel? What emotional experience do you want them to walk away with? How do you want them to feel after they've been there, after they've experienced the product, after they've used the product? I thought that was a great question. Also, she talked about measuring the impact of your communications and matching that to the goal of the communication. If your goal was to make money, then you can measure it that way. If your goal was to make someone feel good, then you can measure it that way. I really thought that was helpful. Understand how to tell a story with a different point of view when the facts are the same. So how can you apply that principle to different perspectives to the same facts? Different points of view. How can you bring a point of view to your storytelling? I thought her example about the two different Holocaust museums was really, really helpful. One museum wanted the emotional goal to be never again, and one wanted it to be these people are heroes of their own stories. So that produces a totally different narrative of the same facts. I thought that was really powerful. So ask yourself, how can I apply that principle of different perspectives to the story that I'm telling? Thanks for listening to the Story Maven podcast. Be sure to subscribe to and rate and review this podcast. Thank you to Emmett Fenn for the music global from YouTube Music. Be sure to visit alicefairfax.com slash checklist to download the free checklist, the five things your brand story needs, and start making an impact with your target audience. When you get the checklist, that automatically signs you up for my newsletter where you'll get first access to the Tell Your Story digital course. 